The Spirit of the Lord is truly here tonight. The Spirit, when He fills us, He fills us with purpose, for a purpose. And it's not just for ourselves. He fills us overflowing so we'll flow on other people. And we can have church here and we can be full of the Spirit, but if we don't go out and do something with it, we're not fulfilling Scripture. We're not doing what God called us to do. We're not doing what Jesus told us all to do. He said in Acts 1 and 8, he said this. I want to just read this. I'm going to be getting on this here in just a minute. Acts 1 and 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit came with purpose for reason to fill the people of God with power so they might spread the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So when God comes and visits his people here on a Sunday night, he comes and visits us with purpose for a purpose to go out and do something with it. And that's kind of what I want to be talking to you about tonight. Um, I want to pray over this word quickly. And uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. So let's just pray over this, and we'll begin to that scripture here in just a moment. Lord, you're awesome, and it's good to be in your house, and I'm thankful for your spirit and your presence that you've met us here, Lord, that you've touched people, and we've encountered you, Lord. It's amazing, Lord Jesus. Lord, you fill us with purpose, Lord, and for meaning, Lord Jesus. Let us go out and do something with it, Lord. And I pray, God, over these next few moments that you would take over my mouth, that you would take over these moments we have here together, God, and that you would truly speak to us, Lord. I rebuke the voices of the enemy, God, and I pray I hear your voice, Lord. I rebuke distractions, and I pray I see you, Lord Jesus. I rebuke it all, God, and I say you have your way, Lord. As I get out of your way for these next few moments, and you have your way, God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, the Lord uh, took me back through the book of Acts, and I finished it about three and a half, four weeks ago. And man, it's so funny. The Word is alive, and it is breathing, and it is active, and it's so funny how you've read things so many times, and the Lord just sometimes just things begin to scream at you off the pages that never really screamed at you before. And I was reading through Acts, and God just continued to speak to me all through the book, and um I came to Acts 17, and, and these words just popped out to me off the pages, words I couldn't get out of my spirit, words I couldn't let go. And I'll be honest with you, I've preached this message in youth group, and as when I was told, I was debating with the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I don't necessarily like to preach something that I've preached before to the youth group, and the Lord just would not let me get away from this. Uh, I just have to be obedient to the Lord tonight, so that's what I want to do with you tonight. But if you would just turn to Acts uh, chapter 17, if you haven't already, verses 1 through 7, I'm going conti- to attempt to speak to you what the Lord has been speaking to me. Acts 17, 1 through 7. And this is what it says. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and I probably just... Messed those up. I, I listened on the Bible app like, can I get these names right? And uh, anyway, I think I just blew it again. But <laughs> they came to Thessalonica. I got that one right. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
And some of them, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. In taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they were acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You can be seated. Tonight, I want to speak to you briefly from a message entitled, Upside Down. Upside Down. For some reason, I've read this passage several times, and when I came across these words, what says, these men who have turned the world upside down have came here also. Paul and Silas come into Thessalonica like they came into so many other places and cities and towns. They came in with a mission, doing the same thing they'd already been doing. And that so many others, so many other people that were following Jesus were doing the same thing Paul and Silas were doing there in Thessalonica. You see, there was a movement going on. There was a movement sweeping through different towns and regions and countries that began when Jesus left earth and the, the Holy Spirit came down and filled his people and they went. There was a movement going on, a movement that would change the course of human history forever. You see, word was getting around. In a time where there, are no, there was no TV, there was no newspapers, there was no fax machines, there were no printers, there was none of that, there was no radio, it was mainly just word of mouth. In this time, these men, these people of God were gaining a reputation. And when I read that, when it said, these men who have turned the world upside down have came here also, it just popped out to me off the pages. And tonight, I just want to focus on why, how, how did they get this reputation? These men who were turning the world upside down, things were changing, things were happening. How did they get this reputation? I want to give you three reasons they had this reputation of turning the world upside down, how they were making such a difference. And I want to relate it to how that applies to us in the here and now. And the first point I want to bring out comes from verses 2 and 3 of Acts 17. I want to read it one more time. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. My first main point is simple. And this point is this. How did they get this reputation? How were they turning the world upside down? They were simply proclaiming Jesus Christ. 
They were proclaiming Jesus Christ. You see, proclaim has a deeper meaning that you might not realize. I want to just give you a quick definition of what proclaim means. To declare publicly, typically insistently, proudly, or defiantly, and either in speech or writing, to announce. Proclaim also means this, to give an outward indication of, to show, to praise or glorify openly or publicly. You see, they were telling everyone about Jesus everywhere they went. They were proud about it. They were bold about it. They were confident about it. They were unashamed of it. To proclaim something isn't just to say something. To proclaim something is to show people something. My gosh, if the church would stop just proclaiming something and if we would live out what we actually preach... To proclaim is to show. They were living it. And because they were proclaiming Jesus, not just them, it wasn't just Paul and Silas doing this. There were several people, lots of people, all through Acts, you see, they're going and they're proclaiming Jesus. And because of what they were doing, because they were proclaiming Jesus, the world was being changed and the gospel of Jesus Christ was being spread like wildfire. You see, the problem with the church, there isn't some crazy magical formula that will grow the church. It's simple. They were simply doing what Jesus told them to do. They were doing what Jesus commanded us all to do, proclaiming Jesus. I can't help but get fired up when I talk about proclaiming Jesus. Luke 24, 43 through 40, 44 through 49. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still in you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, these people, when you read Acts... They took Jesus literal. It wasn't just those two. It was so many. It seems so many were taking Jesus literally. You see the effects of it still today. We are sitting here today in the Palace of Praise Church because of what these men and women did. Because they took Jesus at his word. 
What I'm about to get on for a moment is not a blanket statement. This is not a, these are not statements that apply to everyone. I'm not here to call anyone out. I'm here to preach the word, and I'm here to preach what God has put in me. Where are all the witnesses at? Where are all the proclaimers? Has the church... Not just, I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church, the people of God. Stop taking Jesus literally. It seems to me that a lot of the people of God, of God have gotten busy proclaiming everything but Jesus and focusing on everything but Jesus. We become more passionate about the sports team we shout for than we are about shouting the name of Jesus. We are more focused on the impact that our children make on a field or a court than we are if our children are making an impact on the kingdom of God. More worried about if they score points than if they know the scriptures more worried about if they're becoming a better player than you are worried about if they're growing in Christ. We're more worried about, people are more worried about what degree, what school their kids get a degree from than they are if their child has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's happening in churches all across America. We're more concerned about our social status, building status, than we are building the kingdom of God. We're quicker to proclaim our political affiliations and our beliefs politically than we are to proclaim the name of Jesus. We talk about politics all the time and we give our views on that, but when's the last time you talked about Jesus? When's the last time you proclaimed Jesus? We are more proud of the country we belong to than the kingdom we belong to, and that should not be so. We have allowed the enemy, the devil, to get us focused on so many other things than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. We began fighting all these different battles, and we have, we have little or no business fighting some of these battles because we're not fighting the true enemy. We're not fighting the true war. We're not fighting the kingdom of darkness. We think we are. We think we are. See, all these problems we have in America and the world are all rooted in, in a spirit, a spiritual problem that can only be fixed when Jesus comes into people's souls. We're fighting the wrong battles. We wonder why things are the way they are. We wonder why some churches aren't growing because we've lost sight of the most important fight. If we're not fighting something then some people just simply are living for nothing and there's too many people that sit in church services and don't take their faith any deeper than that there's too many people that think they know how to proclaim Jesus but they really don't have any idea this scripture shows us what it looks like to proclaim the, G the name of Jesus and the book of Acts shows us what it looks like to proclaim the name of Jesus I'm going to give you three quick ways 
to proclaim Jesus the biblical way. Three, sound good? If it doesn't, get over it. Amen? I'm just playing, guys. Chill out. All right. Verse 2. Let's, let's go back to verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scripture. These people never heard the gospel before. They, never, they didn't hear that Jesus had rose from the dead. So Paul went to Scripture, and he used the Word of God to prove to these people in Thessalonica that Jesus Christ was the true Messiah, that Jesus was the one they were waiting for, that Jesus came, he lived, and he died and rose from the dead to take their place, that he was the Messiah, and he was using Scriptures to show these people their need of a Savior. This book, this Bible, the Word of God, is the absolute truth. Absolute. Absolute truth. This is not a book of opinion. This is not a man-made book. This is a book, this is the Word of God. In a world full of so many gospels... So many different directions people think they can get to heaven. In that world that we live in, people need to hear the one true gospel. If we're going to proclaim Jesus, we need to know the words of Jesus. Everything we believe about the gospel, everything that comes out of our mouth about the gospel should come from the gospel. They explained and they reasoned with them with the scriptures. Number two, they proclaimed it everywhere they went. Reiterating the first main point, but they were bold, they were confident, they were sure. Everywhere they went, they were confident, unashamed. It didn't matter where they were at either. That's what I love. It didn't matter who was around. Man, if we could get a hold of that. It didn't matter who was around. It didn't matter anyone else's opinions. It didn't matter if they were at the church, in the synagogue, or on the street. They were proclaiming Jesus. Romans 1.16, for I am unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then also to the Greek or Gentile. Third thing, third way, they proclaim Jesus. Verse 4 and 5. Some of them were persuaded and some of them were persuaded... And joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. They proclaimed Jesus, and they accepted the outcome. You see, verse 4 and 5 is clear. Some. Some. Some of them 
were persuaded. I'm getting somewhere. Just hold with me. You see it all through the book of Acts. You see it in Jesus' ministry. Not everyone bought into what Jesus was preaching. Not everyone in Thessalonica was buying into this gospel. We have to be willing to accept and understand that not everyone's going to accept Jesus. We have to be willing to understand that and not get personally offended when someone rejects what we believe in. We have to proclaim Jesus. We have to live it out. We have to show people Jesus. But when that happens, we have to accept the outcome instead of becoming personally offended. We should feel grief for those who reject Jesus. We should have heartache and sorrow that they are rejecting the very one that they need most, that they are rejecting the fact that the King of Kings wants to know them. You see, when people don't agree or they don't buy in or they don't accept the gospel or they proclaim they don't believe it, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. You see this in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching to these people. He is letting it fly. If you haven't read it for yourself, these people became angry. They didn't want to hear what he was saying. He was proclaiming Jesus. They took him out. They began to stone him. The Bible says they were so mad they were gnarling their teeth. They're just angry. They began to stone him instead of Jesus, or instead of Stephen, excuse me. Getting angry or offended as they're throwing stones at him. He sees Jesus sit at the right hand of the Father and he says to God, Forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Stephen proclaimed Jesus, he accepted the outcome. When people don't accept the love of God, we must show them the love of God anyway. Do you take palace of praise? Do you take what Jesus said literally? Do you take him for what he says? Are Christians in America taking Jesus for what he says? Are we proclaiming Jesus? Are you proclaiming Jesus? Are you spreading the saving grace of Jesus. Let's move on. My second main point, and you're like, that first main point was long. Yeah, it was. These next two aren't near as long. How are they turning the world upside down? Point number two. Why did they have such a reputation? This doesn't necessarily come from Acts 17, right here, what we're focusing on tonight, but it spread all through Acts. Second reason they had this reputation. They performed signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. That reputation had grown because these signs and wonders, not just were they proclaiming Jesus, but these amazing things were taking place. Miracles, signs, and wonders were following them where they went. I want to quickly read to you from the book of Acts just a quick list of signs and miracles and wonders that took place in Acts. Are you ready? I'm going to be fast about it, okay? 
And if I get a couple of these names wrong, I apologize. They're difficult. In Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a lame man. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead. In Acts chapter 5 as well, the apostles are performing many signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 9, Peter heals Aeneas of palsy. In Acts chapter 9 as well, Peter raises Tabitha, or Dorcas, what a name, to life. Acts chapter 12, Peter delivered out of prison by an angel. Acts chapter 12 as well, God smites Herod so he dies and is eaten by worms. Acts chapter 13, Elamias the sorcerer is smitten with blindness. Acts chapter 9, Paul's converted on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 14, Peter heals a cripple. Acts chapter 16, Paul cast out a spirit of divination. Acts chapter 16 as well, Paul and Silas' prison doors are opened by an earthquake. Acts chapter 19, Paul heals multitudes. Acts chapter 20, Paul restores Eutychus to life. Acts chapter 28, Paul shakes off a viper that should have killed him. Acts chapter 20, Wait as well, Paul heals the father Publius and other people. Woo! Reputation. Jesus spreading, the gospel spreading. Why? They were proclaiming Jesus, and signs and wonders followed them where they went. Listen, we've been talking about it here, we've been seeing it here, but miracles, signs, and wonders, they're taking place, things are happening, things are changing. The Lord is moving in the area of miracles and signs and wonders, and we're going to begin to see more and more and more and more of that. As the end draws closer, God is going to begin to pour himself out in that fashion, in that form here in America, here at the Palace of Praise. And I'm here to tell you this tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. If you're not desiring God to use you, if you're not earnestly seeking the spiritual gifts, it's time to do that. It's time to do that. Listen, just because God used you through spiritual gifts, listen, just because people are used that way doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. It doesn't. It really doesn't. The Lord will use you. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will give you power. 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 To be a witness. God wants to do that. The reason it was taking place was because, number one, God loves people. God wants to heal people. But God also wants to build people's faith. God wants to build, ultimately, the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. When someone's healed, it's about professing Jesus. And people aren't healed by men. They're healed by God. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. And until you understand that you have to get out of the way and let God use you, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. It's not going to happen through you. He'll use someone else. We are simply just vehicles. We are simply just men and women seeking God's gifts, seeking to be used, not for our glory, but for his glory. It's time to seek that. It's time to build the kingdom. Last point of the night. Last point of the night. Is the Lord calling? 
Oh, that's funny. Sorry, I just needed a breather, so just hold on for a second. Point three. They formed and built communities for believers to belong to and be a part of. You see, they formed and built a communities for believers to belong to and be a part of. How was the word of God spreading? They were building churches. They were building the people of God. They weren't just proclaiming Jesus. They weren't just having signs and wonders take place. They were building churches. The local church is the way that the gospel is pushed. That's what the Lord uses. He uses bodies of believers who come together with one mind and one accord with one mission to proclaim Jesus and to build the kingdom of God, to make disciples. Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Literally, possibly one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's simple, but I love it. The Holy Spirit had just fallen for the first time. Men men and women baptized in the Spirit. And we see this at the end of Acts chapter 2. And everything that's written in this book is here for the purpose and for a reason to teach us something. Simple. Acts 2, 42 through 47 They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. They were building churches. The epistles that were written, that was all written to build, instruct, help churches. That's what most of the rest of the New Testament is. Besides Revelations, building the church. I could say a lot here, and this deserves its own message, but I just want to quickly point this out, just one word, devoted. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They were devoted to apostles' teaching, the word of God. They were devoted to prayer. I believe that's corporate prayer and personal prayer. And they were devoted to fellowship with one another. Simple. They were devoted to it. Listen, if you're not devoted to studying the scriptures for yourself, it's time to do so. Simple but true. Come on, people. It's time to stop relying on pastors to feed you the word of God. You should not come to the house of God if you've been a Christian for X amount of years saying, I'm hungry, feed me. There are times in our lives that we need that. But if you're a mature Christian, you are reading the word for yourself and God is pouring it into you. You don't have to rely on me. Stop listening just to me and to our pastors and our staff. We have amazing preachers. But listen, you need to read the word of God for yourself. How do you know if I'm telling you the truth? You don't know. And there are people in this world who twist and pervert scripture. 
And people buy into it because they don't know the word for themselves. It's time to devote yourself to the scriptures. Prayer. No amount of corporate prayer, no amount of messages you hear, no amount of television preachers, none of it can take the place of personal devotion and prayer to God. There's no amount of corporate prayer that can take the place of that. If you're not taking time out of your day to do that, start today. Go home, turn it all off, get away from everything, and get on your knees and pray before the King of Kings because he wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you're putting all this other stuff in front of that. You're not devoted to that. You're devoted to all this other junk that's not going to amount to anything. And you're not devoted to the one thing that matters the most, a personal relationship with Jesus. From everything flows that. Everything in your life, everything in your life flows from that. It's time to get devoted to that. We won't miss a television show. But we'll miss time in prayer. We won't miss a ball game, but we'll miss time in prayer. What's wrong with us? Final thing. Fellowship. Breaking bread with one another. Fellowship with other believers is absolutely necessary to you growing. To you fulfilling your purpose. To you building the kingdom. It's about fellowship. It's about fellowship. You need, you need that. If you're mature in Christ, you need to be having people in your home. You need to be meeting with people. You need to be talking to people. You need to be making disciples. If you're in a life group, you need to be devoted to that. It's one of the most biblical things we do. It's time to get devoted to that. You need to make that a part of your schedule. Are you playing your part in building the church? Are you playing your part in building this local church? If you're not building the kingdom, what are you building? You're building something. What is it? When you get to heaven, are all your accolades going to be simply physical things? Which matter nothing to God. They're going to burn. Are you going to get those crowns with those jewels in them because you proclaim Jesus, because you built the kingdom, because you allow God to use you? What are you building? What are you building? Would you stand with me tonight?